Welcome back to Intertwined Minds, a podcast where we laugh at our own jokes, so at least someone does. Turns out, if you're going to drink a Caesar from Shaq's shoe, clear the day. You're getting sloppy. We're your hosts, Skip. And Captain. And today we're going to talk about a topic we wish we didn't have to, but we still we still feel like it's uh, important that we bring light to certain situations. Today we're going to talk about the missing people in Canada. And everything that you're going to hear today is public knowledge. We're going to try to be respectful to the families and everyone involved. And yeah, we just want to shed more light on the situation and bring awareness. Yeah, we're, uh, we're definitely not accusing anybody of anything. You know, everybody's innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, we just really, we just really feel like we don't want people forgetting about these people because we know that their families and friends haven't. And if anything we say here today could help, any of those families in the slightest way we uh, we want to do it so um we understand that if you're here only for jokes that's fine that's usually what we do go listen to our last episode or even wait till the next one because they'll be back but um we um we really do encourage you to stay and listen to this episode and if you can help in any way in the slightest we we really hope that you'll you will do so so um with that being said um, I want to jump into my first one. The first person that I'm going to talk about is Courtney Lake. She went missing on June 7th of 2017 from Mount Pearl, Newfoundland. Um, I'm not sure if you know much about this one, sir, because uh, you, you haven't lived here in a long time, but this is very close to where I'm from, and it's uh, it really hits home. No, I'm not, uh, I'm not too familiar with the case, honestly. I, I know... I've heard you talk about it a couple times, but we've never actually sat down and discussed it. You uh, will. Know, yeah. Like I know it was a big thing a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like when she first went missing and like for the months after this was everywhere, even, even here where I live, which is a, a, you know, a nice ways away from where she went missing from, there was banners, posters, billboards, everything with her face and name on it and they never did get any closure. So um, we want to talk about it today and that's going to be the first one I talk about. So Courtney Lake was 24 years old when she went missing, which is an absolute tragedy. I mean, it's a tragedy when anybody goes missing, but this girl was 24 and she had a child, uh, which is, which makes it even harder. So she had a child with, I believe uh, um, somebody she had met in school and it didn't work out, but they were co-parenting. And then she ended up getting herself into a relationship with somebody who wasn't very nice, to say the least. He um, hit her and abused her, and she ended up getting a peace bond against him that prevented him from having any contact with her, her mother, um, and anybody really close to her. So... I mean, she, she must have been she must have been genuinely worried to actually go out and get a peace bond. Yeah, you normally don't go get one of those just because it's it's normally pretty serious when you do. Yeah. Um and his his name was Philip, so that's what I'll be referring to him as. The 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 man that she got the peace bond against. So on June seventh, Courtney went with her ex, uh the one that she had the child with, and her son to his weekly swimming lesson after which he dropped her off at her mother's house where she spent the afternoon and was later dropped off at her house in Mount Pearl. And that's the last place she was seen. 
So just to go back a little, on June 5th, despite the peace bond held against Philip, he tried to contact her several times and actually went as far to drive to her home. And she contacted the police, but before they got there, he ended up driving away. Uh, but he was later arrested. So, so that's like some like pretty stalker stuff to do. Well, he definitely wasn't happy about her leaving him, and he definitely, definitely wasn't happy about the peace bond. Uh, yeah, like, and obviously, he didn't. Obviously, he didn't care much about it. The peace bond. No, like especially when you get one of those put on you. There's there's ways to go around it. Like, Unfortunately, it, it, there's loopholes, but yeah, but no, like what I don't mean ways to go around. It. I mean like there's steps that you need to take in order just to get in contact with those people. You just can't go drive up to the fucking door. Oh no, no, yeah, but he tried to contact her like a lot on on June fifth, and yeah, he went as far to drive to her house, and he drove away. But the cops later found him and arrested him and sentenced to, sentenced him to appear in court on June 7th. Um, on June 7th, he appeared in court for a number of offenses. He received suspended sentences and a number of charges were withdrawn because the Crown and Defense agreed that he was um, currently in the middle of crisis, is what they said. Uh, um, yeah. That seems like a bad move already. Well, apparently they they came to an agreement that he was having a lot of mental issues and they ended up withdrawing a lot of his charges, which. So if, if they, if he was having a lot of mental issues, did they like have like a mandatory, like stay in like a psych ward or something like that? Or did they just nope. let him roll free? No, no, he was given the, he was, he was given a probation order to stay away from Courtney and her mother. Um, but that, that was about it. So they let him out after that. Um, and this, this is where it gets, um, kind of, kind of sketchy. I mean, again, I don't want to place blame on anybody. I'm just stating the facts, but Courtney Lake was last seen four hours after Philip got out of court on June 7th. Hmm. Um, and that, that to me is, is, very suspicious. Yeah, that lays a lot of suspicion at his feet, but um, I guess but, nothing's been proven yet, hey? Right. So anyway, they questioned multiple people. And they uh, they canvassed the neighborhood, and they turned up nothing. On June 28th of 2017, officers armed with a search warrant went to the property owned by Philip's father, and they did take several items out of the home, including his truck. Um, and on June 30th, 2017, well after she had been missing, her disappearance was classified as a homicide. So they, they weren't even classifying her as a missing person anymore. They were classifying it as a homicide. They were looking for a body, not looking for her alive. They, they, they pretty much said that, they suspected was, that she was dead. Yeah. So yeah. apparently it was said that, that, or the the police stated that they had more than one person of interest and they actually released security footage that showed Courtney leaving her home at approximately 8 p.m. 
a truck pulled up beside her. She entered the passenger side and the truck turned around and headed in the opposite direction. And that's the last known footage of her? Yes, I do believe it was. Um, They believe that she was taken to a secluded area. Um, They conducted searches in the Galway Development Outer Ring Road and Seacove area of CBS and Powers Pond. Numerous volunteers searched the Avalon Peninsula as well as Bay Bulls. Um, And, I mean, they had hundreds and hundreds of volunteers going out and helping search uh, all the places that they thought that she might have been taken to. And, yeah, so still haven't found anything. Uh, So during a search of Patty's Pond on July 2nd of 2017, searchers came upon an item that was later confirmed to belong to Courtney. And a ground and water search was conducted into into the 3rd of July, but nothing was ever turned up. Um, On August 9th of 2017, Philip, pled guilty to breaching the order to stay away from Courtney and admitted to picking her up the night of her disappearance. He admitted it. He, he admitted that it was his truck and he picked her up, but he would not reveal where they went or when he last saw her. Yeah. So that's, uh, I don't want to say that's an admission of guilt because it isn't, but it's again, very suspicious. That's a, that's a slippery slope for sure. Um, so on October 31st, 2017, Philip called his family saying he was going to kill himself. They contacted police and they set up searchers on the Bellevue beach where Philip's family had a cabin And at 3 a.m. November 1st, a sniffer dog located Smith's body. So he did commit suicide. So what you're saying um, is now, even if he did commit the murder, no one no one's ever going to find out like it's yeah so if if it was philip that did it um unfortunately this case might never be solved might never ever be solved because um after his death it prompted a, a thorough search of the area around the cabin and it also turned up nothing um no arrests have currently been made no cell phone usage from Courtney, uh, from Courtney's cell phone, no bank account activity, um, absolutely nothing. Uh, but the family and police do believe that there are people out there that have information and they're withholding it. They believe that Philip either confided in somebody if he was the one that done it, or, you know, somebody saw something that they're not saying, you know, when from the time that she was picked up to the time that she was taken to a secluded area. So if, if that's true and there's people out there that are withholding information and I mean, this was 2017 and, and we're in the, the middle of 2020. I mean, that, that must be hell for the family and friends. So again, I, if by some miracle, somebody hears this, that knows anything, or even, even if it's the slightest bit, of information that you think could help, I, please step forward, make an anonymous call. Uh, you can, the, the, the crime stoppers number is one 222 tips or one 8477 Or you can go to www.nlcrimestoppers.com. And uh, I mean, 
these, this family it will never have closure. They'll never, you know, they'll never be able to move forward unless she's found or at the very least they know what happened to her. So please, if anybody knows anything, just do the right thing. Um, with that being said, we, uh, we'll go into your first, your first story. So, uh, the, one of the stories that I was reading about was of a young girl named, uh, Lisa Marie Young. She was a 21 years old, uh, indigenous woman. She disappeared from Nanaimo, BC. Am I pronouncing that? Nanaimo, yeah. yeah. Nanaimo. Uh, on June 30th, 2002. So it's, uh, it's wow. Yeah, it's been a long time, but uh, what happened was she had spent the night at a local nightclub and several house parties with her friends before getting a ride with a uh, stranger that like she had just met that night to go to a fast food restaurant, and um, she was uh, never seen since. So um, what happened was on June 29th. 2002 she left her parents house at 11 p.m uh she went to go to the night call uh nightclub called jungle which is now known as evolve to celebrate a friend's birthday um after the nightclub closed at around 2 30 a.m uh they proceeded with their friends and this guy that she was talking to like i just met and uh he decided to give them a ride to a house party when they got there, they spent around an hour or so at this house party. And uh, then she decided to go, like, they were talking and went to another house party. So this is all at around, like, this is happening around 2, like, say, 2.40 or so in the morning. So uh, while she was at the house party, she uh, got really hungry. And the guy there offered her a ride. His name was uh, Christopher William. Adar, and uh, he offered her a ride to go get something to eat because she was vegetarian, so there, there was nothing at the party there for her to really eat. So she accepted, and uh, they drove away in his uh, red Jaguar. Like Shortly after like they left, uh, she actually sent a text to one of her friends, and uh, she, told, she told him that Christopher did not take her to get something to eat, nor did he drop her off at her home. But instead, she was sitting in his car in a driveway, and uh, Adir would not let him, would not let her leave. Uh, he was actually sitting in the vehicle with her, and uh, then shortly after, as well, another text came through. Once again, to the same friend, uh, she told him this was at around four thirty in the morning. Uh, she, he got a text that said, "Come get me. They won't let me leave." And that's the last that they ever heard of her. Um, there was a couple satellite, like radio towers that uh, picked up a couple pings from her phone and located her around the area. But uh, her phone and nothing was ever recovered. So, like, it's a lot of things were pointing to him, like, obviously, because he was the last one and because of the text and everything. So they they obviously they did searches and everything for it, but they they couldn't find anything. And then it took them two months later to actually bring uh, Christopher in for questioning. And because they couldn't find him, or 
I, I don't know if they couldn't find him or what was up, but it, it took him two months to get him in for questioning. And um, he spoke with uh, Lisa's mother, and she asked him, like, the whereabouts of her daughter. Uh, the only thing that he said was, uh, I can't, I'm sorry, I don't mean to disrespect your family. He was also, he was in there with his grandmother. I, I believe she was in the court, like in the room with him while they were being interviewed. Um, turns out the Red Jaguar actually belonged to his grandmother. She was a, like a wealthy businesswoman, I guess you could call it, from BC. Um, anyway, during the investigation, she ended up selling the car and uh, threatened to take legal action if her grandson continued to be implicated in Young's disappearance. So, like, there was, there's a lot of things that went on that it, it got juggled around so much. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate that almost the closest thing to an admission of guilt can't be considered an admission of guilt. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Besides, besides finding a body or having her tell you herself who did it, I mean, I don't know how much more evidence you want than getting rid of the car. And yeah, like oh, honestly, boy. I personally, I believe that should have been something that the cops should have looked into. Like, I I don't know if they did or not. I I'm not a hundred percent sure, but there definitely should have been some legal action taken when she got rid of the car. That to me, that's deliberately getting rid of evidence and. Yeah, and she probably could have just chalked it up to, you know, bad memories for my grandson or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, that's uh, so Lisa Marie Young. 2002. 2002. And nothing, nothing. has been solved. Can you? Nothing. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's been. Uh, it, and you said that there was cell phone pings, but they never. There was cell. Phone they never ping. could do anything with it. No, because unfortunately, the cell phone disappeared shortly after. Like the towers received like two or three pings in a general area, and then. And the text that, and the text that she had sent to her friends, did it give an address to where to pick her up? Or uh, no, I, I don't believe so. So either whoever she was with at the time, uh, must have got either she didn't know the address, or they must have got the phone from her really quickly because like I mean it's unfortunate but still to this day nothing has been found yeah I mean doing I you always hear about these cases and um, you always feel bad and, and hope that they're found and you want closure for the family it's unfortunate that as a society, if it doesn't directly affect us, you kind of forget about it, you know? Yeah, people and, people tend to close their eyes and turn a blind eye to stuff like that. But and I'm not and I'm not gonna, you know, knock anybody for for not remembering because it's it, it has been know. a long time, but at the same time, like but everyone should kind of work together as a community. It's yeah, but, but my point was reading into these, I mean, I knew the ca the cases that I chose, I knew the cases decently well because they're so close to me and, and it was, you know, very largely publicized when it was happening. 
but reading into these cases and watching interviews with family members and seeing them just be absolutely lost and broken. It's, it's, um, it's really hard. Um, I, I, I had a, I had a really hard time and, and, and that's just me looking into it. That's, that's looking from the outside. I, I don't want to venture to imagine how these families feel. No. And honestly, we're, we're not even touching like the tip of the iceberg on this one. There are so many cases that are left open. Yeah. The, yeah. This, these are just cases that we've highlighted that we thought, you know, were um, close to close to home um, for me. And uh, the captain picked ones that are decently close to him. And, um, but there are so many, so, so, so many missing people that it would take us, it would take us years to touch on all of them. But we, we really hope that, you know, people, they, they go, go and do some research and just look into a couple of these and, and you'll see where I'm coming from. I mean, this is genuinely hard. And, um, like, honestly, even if you just go have a look at it, they post pictures of people all the time. You never know. You you might actually see someone walking someday and recognize them. So, yeah, it, it's always yeah. good to give a look. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm tearing up just thinking about it, honestly. It's it's hard. Um, this one, the next one I want to talk about, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The next one I want to talk about really got to me. Um, I do know somebody who's quite close to this case. And um, I, I watched interviews with family members and friends. And um, it was, it was, um, it was heart wrenching, honestly. And I, and I, I, really do hope that somebody, you know, the right person hears this and, and for some odd reason decides to listen to me, which, you know, usually I would say is a bad idea, but please, if you hear this and you know something, or just like I said, the slightest piece of information, I implore you to step forward and give somebody some closure. Um, the next person I want to talk about is, Jennifer Hillier Penny. Um, she went missing on November 30th of 2016 uh, from, from St. Anthony, which is pretty, pretty close to where I am. Yeah, like, that's not far away from where you stay. Yeah. Um, so at around 8 p.m. on November 30th of 2016, Jennifer Hillier Penny dropped her sister off at a scheduled appointment at the hospital. And she was going to stay at the house of her estranged husband, Dean Penny, where she was going to stay with her youngest daughter, Dina. Uh, her husband was supposed to be away at, um, at his cabin duck hunting. That was like 45 minutes away from the, from the house. Yeah. Um, she drew a bath when she got home. She uh, texted her daughter, Dina, that she had a headache and she was going to lie down and uh, go to bed when she got out of the bath. She was um, <sighs> boy. When her daughter got home that evening, 
her mother's bedroom door was closed and uh, she was already past her curfew. So she didn't bother to open the door to check if her mother was in the house. So, so really nobody knows if she was in the house at, at that time. Yeah. Uh, the next morning, her mother's alarm went off and it kept going off and it kept going off. And she decided to go and check on her mother. And when she opened the door, uh, her mother was not there. Her keys were still there. Her phone was still there. Her purse was still there. The car was still there. And even the bath water that she drew the night before was still in the tub. Um, it didn't look like it had even been, you know, it looked like she drew the water and didn't get in. The, the RCMP officers didn't immediately treat her disappearance as suspicious. They thought maybe, you know, she's a grown woman. Maybe she decided to get up and go somewhere or, you know, maybe it was even, it was even thought that was any notes or anything left or nothing, nothing, no sign of anything. And, and I mean, it's November in Newfoundland. You don't, you don't forget your coat. If no, you're going you don't somewhere. forget that shit. And like, you you were saying like she has a daughter who was like coming home. How, like, if anything, who who doesn't leave a note telling you where you're going? Like, that that should have been like the first weird thing that a cop should have looked into. Well, yes, and she she had texted her daughter the night before. You know, so um, and and just before I before I get into the full you know extent of what i have after here she was extremely family oriented everybody that uh, knew her she she had two daughters that she loved dearly she had parents that she loved friends that she loved very close to all of her family so when the police said that she could have either just left without telling anybody and they even suggested that she may have committed suicide and the family knew right away that was i mean yeah that yeah that it wasn't true to them that wasn't even a possibility so after um after some days of searching uh they shifted their focus and finally locked down the house that she had been missing from her her estranged husband's house they they locked it down but it took them i believe a week or over a week to lock that house down. That's crazy. So, and, and it's, there was a interview with her oldest daughter, Marina. And, and she said that by the time the police locked the house down, o- over a hundred people were in and out of the house, rummaging through her belongings, you know, coming in and out. I mean, any evidence that was there gone. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, St. Anthony, Somebody could disappear there extremely easily. I mean, that the fact that it took them a week to lock down the area that she was last known to be blows my mind. And especially after I get into what I'm about to get into, you'll, you'll think it's even crazier. So, um, when I said a strange husband, I said that because Jennifer was in the process of trying to get a divorce 
from Dean. They were high school sweethearts. They had two daughters together and then they, they started having problems and she had actually moved out of, of his house and went back to live with her father. Um, she was in the process supposedly of talking to lawyers and um, she was even planning on leaving St. Anthony and uh, she had, she had interviews that she was going to in Glovertown. Yeah. She wanted to leave St. Anthony behind and, you know, start, start new. She was 38 years old. I mean, her life was just beginning, you yeah, know, that's, that's not that old. So she, she was in the process of leaving her husband. Um, and apparently he wasn't very happy about that at all. Which is understandable, I mean, but apparently she had been sending text messages to her friends, um, saying that Dean was following her, and every time she would get off of work, he'd be there driving by really slowly. And in one text, she even said that Dean had told her that he would make away with her, and no one would ever find her. That's crazy. Um. Yeah. And she was she was genuinely afraid of him from what her friends and family were saying. And they're the two that have the daughters so, together, right? Like that was his kids as well. Yes. So she didn't want to go back to that house when he asked her to go and watch their youngest, because I believe she was only 15 or 16 at the time. And she didn't want to, you know, she didn't want to leave the house. She wanted to stay there. So Jennifer said that she would go and stay there. And it was under the condition that he was supposed to be gone to the cabin, which was like 45 minutes away, duck hunting. And he wasn't supposed to be back. So apparently the night that she went missing, Dean had called Jennifer like a very, um, frantic and asking her when she was going to be there, if she was coming back, when she was going to be back, um, you know, kept asking her and kept asking her. And in one interview that they had with Dean, he said that he was gone for the full week. Yeah. Uh, he had never been, you know, he, he was gone the whole week. And then in another interview, he did admit and he was seen by his youngest daughter the night that Jennifer disappeared, he was at that house and he was supposedly getting decoys from the garage that he had forgotten. And that part to me is very suspicious on the fact that he's supposed to be a seasoned hunter and he's supposed to be gone away for a week duck hunting and he forgot decoys. You, you don't forget that. That's, uh, that. That'd be the same thing as going without shells. Um, so he was at the house the night that Jennifer went missing. That's, uh, yeah. And his cabin, his truck, his house, you know, everything was searched eventually, you know, after they finally locked the house down and some things were taken and, um, the RCMP would not confirm nor deny if he had been ruled out as a suspect or not. 
And apparently they put a publication ban on the case and nobody was allowed to release any information about any suspects they had, you know, any, any breaks on this or that, you know, nothing was supposed to be released, which to me was trying to cover their own ass. Well, yeah, because it took them so long to get in there because they didn't like, okay. yeah, yeah, that's, that's really stupid. And another big piece, um, very shortly before her disappearance, her husband, Dean, had been taken off her life insurance policy and her two sole beneficiaries were her two daughters, 50-50. And, yeah, apparently they had a, a bunch of evidence that they had seized to send away to a crime lab in Ottawa and you know they were kind of dragging their feet on that one too and they i mean this family has been in limbo for years i mean they still go and they put up posters you know when when they get weathered they put up new ones they still go and they search on their own because they they've all stated in interviews that if they find her, it's they don't think it's going to be because of any police work, which is unfortunate. Honestly, they, it you see this all the time, but unfortunately, the police they don't always help. It's, yeah, well, I mean, if one of my family members disappeared, and for some odd reason, the last place that they were seen wasn't locked down for a, over a week. And people were in and out of there destroying evidence. I mean, I wouldn't have very much confidence either. Yeah, no. Uh, so if anybody wants to look into this one, there is a documentary that was done by the Fifth Estate that's on YouTube that you can go and look. You can look for, and there's interviews and stuff. Uh, but again, this is this is absolutely insane to me. That, and I mean. Imagine, imagine being, uh, you know, one of her friends or a family member, and thinking you know who did it, and then they're still walking around free. Yeah, that would that would make a lot of people angry. You know, I mean, that's that's um, that, it's not something I could even. No, imagine. that would change the whole outlook of a community. That that would be terrible. Yeah, and I mean, I did watch an interview with her oldest daughter that she is absolutely broken because not only did she lose her mother, um, which is incredibly tragic on its own, but she, she has said that um, because of all of the, the rumors and accusations around her father, she doesn't, she hasn't ruled him out as a suspect and she asked him to take a lie detector test, and he said that he couldn't because his lawyer said that it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, that's uh, so. To to be I those mean, young girls, she, that would be, be horrible. That that's she basically lost a mother and a father at that point. When if I mean, if you don't trust, if you don't trust your father, and especially with something of that magnitude, yeah, that's you know. If anything, you think he would be more than happy to 
If it was now, again, I'm not throwing around any accusations. Everything's alleged. I don't want to say that he should take the lie detector test or he should do this or whatever. And yes, he's working under counsel of, uh, of legal aid. But if that was me, it wouldn't matter to me what my lawyer said. If you were, I would yeah. want, I would want to do that for my daughters, you know, but that's me. Oh, it's a, it's a rough case there, sir. Yeah. Um, yeah, so while while I was also digging around, um, I, I I stumbled across this old case. Um, actually, it happened a year, no, two years after we were born. That is a long time. It ago. is a long time, but there there's still hopeful pop, like possibilities, and uh, <sighs> nothing is for certain, but. And the reason why I chose this one was because potentially there there still could be some hope for this one. Okay. So um, this is about the disappearance of uh, three brothers, Adam, Trevor, and Mitchell O'Brien. Um, they were, like I said, they were all all three brothers, but they were abducted allegedly by their father, Gary O'Brien, on November 9th in uh 1996 so uh now the age like the boys were 14 11 and 4 like so jeez really really young ages so they went to visit their father and he didn't have custody of them the mother was just like you know trying to be a good mom like letting them stay at their father's house to, so they could see him so uh, while they were there that night at around 8:30 p.m. And this is in Newfoundland uh, and Labrador. This was at uh, Tour Bay. Wow. I was in 96. I think I was even still living here. So like I said, Tour Bay, not, not too far away. It's a little, it's a little bit of a travel from where you are, but it's not. Wow. I I don't, I've never heard of this case. Yeah. So at, uh, so like I said, the, the mother dropped the boys off at her father's house. Uh, and then that night, uh, around 8.30 p.m., Gary called Diana, which was the mother. Uh, so her name was Diana Poland. Uh, it was his ex-wife. And, yeah, so he called her, and he said he was not going to give the boys back and that he had rigged the house to explode if anyone entered. So she asked to speak to the boys, and Gary told her later. And that's all he said, just later. And hung up the phone. Um, Diana's sister, who was with her, uh, like sitting down with her at the time, uh, immediately called the police. And uh, when the police went to the house, they found a makeshift bomb made up of two 400 pound tanks of propane. And uh, like I said, if anyone, like the police knew they were going in looking for a bomb. So that was the only reason that the house didn't go up. But there was enough there that it would have blew up his house and the surrounding houses. Like Diana believes that he done this as a uh, kind of a diversion in order to like give himself time to get away and escape. But uh, yeah, so he actually 
like from the understanding is he kidnapped the kids and they haven't been seen since. Neither is he. But then almost a year later, um, a engine was found, which believed to be Gary's engine out of his uh, 1989 Ford Tempo. Uh, they recovered it uh, in the ocean near Flat Rock, which was uh, 10 kilometers from his place. And uh, Diana believes that was also done to mislead the police. Um, there was uh, like a year after that. So that would have been uh, 98. There was a uh, anonymous phone call made to the police in uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario, with a woman claiming that she recognized the pictures of the boys and that she babysat them. And uh, she knew the nicknames of the boys, and the police tried to get in contact with her and tried to locate her uh, all up until 1999, but they had no success. And uh, to this day, Diana believes that the boys are still out there. They're okay. But she she was talking about that she believes that he might have taken them to, like, a commune or something like that, somewhere outside of, like, technology where they could be raised and... Because obviously, if you if you're gonna abduct kids and all that, like you're essentially gonna brainwash them, right? Like they're not just gonna stay away. They're you're not gonna be able to tell them the truth. You'd think that would be easy with maybe the four year old and even maybe the eleven year old, but the fourteen year old. The four, yeah, but but yeah, no. Still to this day, she she hopes and prays that one day that she will, you know, be reunited with her boys. You know, so this one is not even the only thing unsolved about this one is where they are now. And and that's why I decided to discuss this one. Like it's there's still hope. So she knows who did she it. She knows who did it. The cops, everything, like the house was rigged, everything. But Jeez. Like I said, if if she had went over, if let's say if he never made that phone call and she had went over to like go get the boys the next day she would have died, the people next door would have died, the whole neighborhood would have been blew up, like blown up. And when did you, you said they went missing in 1996? 1996. Wow. So they're all, they're all grown men. They, right now, yes, they're, they're all grown men. If they're still out yeah. there. Wow. And like, even they had, everyone was looking for the father, like Interpol, everyone. He, this made, yeah. How do you, it's not that easy to stay off of the grid oh. for that long. Well, when you're a very, very wanted man, no, it's not. And that's why she believes that he took him to like a commune or something like that. This had to be a very well thought out plan that he had. It, it had to be very well thought out. And honestly, this, this case made headlines everywhere. And which really, which yeah. really surprised me because. I had never heard about it. And like I said, the reason why I chose to discuss this one was because there, there's still hope. Well, I hope, I hope they're all out there and they're fine. And I really hope that, you know, she gets to see her sons again one day. Wow. Yeah, me too. I can't, imagine. I can't, jeez, oh, I can't, I cannot imagine that. She's been sitting around since 1996 wondering where her three sons are and if they're okay. Honestly, even if she passed them on the street at this point? Would yeah, she I mean, yeah. I mean, wow. 
over 20 years, you'd never, you'd never even know him anymore. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, crazy, crazier stuff has happened. Crazier stuff has happened, but. So, I mean, uh, I want to hold out hope and I'm sure she is. Yeah. It can't be easy. No, especially after this long, it, 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 I, I can't imagine how hard it would be, but. Yeah, I mean, she's and she's got to be getting up there in age now, too. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I just I want to want to reiterate that everything that you guys heard today was us, you know, looking into these cases and and finding out as much as we could reading these stories. And uh, we really do encourage you guys to go out there and. Um, look through these stories, look through some other stories and, you know, keep your eye out here out. And if by some chance that this hits the right pair of ears and, and maybe get one of these families a little closure, that would be absolutely amazing. Um, I'm, I want to give you guys the, the tip line one more time. It's uh one 222 tips. That's one 800 Two 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 eight four seven seven. Even even the smallest detail could prove to be extremely helpful. And even if you're not sure about it, it is better. Honestly, it's just better to leave a tip. It's it, it can't hurt anything. If only, if anything, it'll just help. Every every yeah. bit of information helps. Yeah, just put yourself in the shoes of these families. Um. And and do the right thing if you can. Um, we want to we want to thank everybody who's still listening. Uh, we we really appreciate you guys sticking in for this one. It's not what we usually do, but it's something that we felt very strongly about. So um, that's all for this episode. You can go over to our Instagram at uh, Intertwined Minds. That's the best way to keep up with the podcast and uh, what we're up to. Um, or you can send us an email, like always, at intertwinedminds94 at gmail.com. Uh, we really appreciate the support and all the love we've been getting, and we hope to continue to do this. So, as always, I'm Skip. And I'm Captain. Um, yeah, just uh, like thank everyone for listening, and uh, yeah, just tune in next time, and remember, be thankful for what you have, and. Uh, Show your show your love to those around you. Mm-hmm.